Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan Bittekoffer. I come from Camelback Church of Christ. It's good to be with each and every one of you today. Uh, we're going to talk about meeting God on the mountainside. We're going to talk about Elijah. That's our story today. And if you have a Bible, you'll want to have your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a very familiar story. Um, I'll tell the story. You'll, you'll see it up here on the wall. And it is a good story that we need to learn from because it, it also has a learning point that leads into 19, and that's where we're going to land. Our point today is very, very simple and straightforward and something we can all take to heart. So my question that I want to start with is, how are you doing today? I hope and pray that you're doing well. And so let me ask you another question. How close do you feel to God today? In other words, when we ask that question, there are times when we feel like God is far away from me. And I imagine there's a time or two we felt like God is far away because we have things that are called unmet expectations. And, you know, in our hearts, we believe that God is here. We believe He's real. But sometimes He doesn't act in the way that we wanted to or we didn't get what we wanted and so there is this question of, why is God so far away from me? And in fact, there might be times when we feel like we're just kind of out of sync. We're just out of sync. Because when God does not follow our script, or walk according, or work according to the way that we expect Him to work, we can feel like He's a million miles away. We might even feel like there's something that we did that was wrong. Perhaps we, there is sin that we have to deal with. Perhaps it's just something like, why do our plans and God's plans seem to not sync up? And we ask ourselves those questions, and we look and wonder why we're out of sync, or if we're out of sync. So this is where we're going to land in 1 Kings 19, but in 1 Kings 18, we're going to start there because Elijah had a, a time like that in his life. It starts off where you see Elijah watching the power of God. This is a picture up here on the wall of the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah that ate at Jezebel's table. She was the queen and Ahab was the king and they were both very evil people in God's sight. And so Elijah draws them into a contest on Mount Carmel. And there's going to be a showdown between Baal and, and, and God. And this false prophet, they, all of these uh, false prophets, they get together and they build this altar to their false god. And they dance and they hoot and they holler. And one of the interesting things about Scripture in 1 Kings 18, down in verse 29, midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. I like that, don't you? Because that's a false god they're trying to worship there. Well, Elijah comes up and he rebuilds the altar that was there many years ago. And he puts 12 large stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see, you can see there on the wall, that it is now his turn. All of the hooting and hollering has stopped. They realize that Baal is not going to answer them. So Elijah steps forward and now it's his turn. I've never seen all those tribes like that before. It's terrific. 
Yeah, those are the 12 tribes. You can see them, uh, the Manasseh and Ephraim, Benjamin, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Dan, Naphtali, um, Gad, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Yeah, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Gad. 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 G-A-D, Gad. Yeah. Gad was one of the 12 sons of Israel. Okay, yeah, there you go. So, Elijah steps forward, and now it's his turn, and he reaches up and prays to God and says, Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you're turning the people's hearts back again. Brethren, the premise that I'm going to start with today is that when we authentically stand before the presence of Almighty God, and we make our requests known to him that he will answer and we will be changed. My entire thesis for today is all about this. When you come into the presence of God and his people, you will be changed. You can't help but be changed by your time with him. And so we start off with Elijah's uh, his prayer, and, and the Lord sends fire down from the sky. And, and you remember how that works, that that, that uh, altar was... Uh, wet, he had watered it down three times, he put a bowl that they cut up and set up there, and a lot of wood, and he prays to God, and God sends that fire down, and it just licks up all that water, that entire sacrifice, and it is clear as day that Baal is not real, but God is. In fact, that's a red-letter day for him, because Elijah even outruns Ahab's chariot ahead of the rainstorm, because afterwards he's sitting up there on Mount Carmel resting, after they decimated all those 850 prophets. You ever have a red-letter day like that? Maybe it's not so dramatic, but we've all had good days where we can see God's hand moving in our life. Sure we have. So you can understand what happens when it gets to 1 Kings 19, and you see that Elijah is perplexed. And Elijah is perplexed because, like us at times, we ask God to do something for us, and yet it does not go the way we expect. We have those unmet expectations. This same God who answered for the request with fire from the sky to eat up that sacrifice, and this wonderful, amazing red-letter day appears to uh, allow Elijah to be scared by Jezebel. And he now is running for his life. In Scripture, you can see this in the first couple of verses there of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And in fact, she sends him this little note. She says, you know what? Elijah, far be it from me if you don't end up dead just like those prophets that were slaughtered the day before. And so, of course, he takes off because he's scared for his life. She puts out a sign, dead man walking, get that Elijah, and sends him out, sends people out to go get him. What's going on, God? Why me? Elijah's probably asking himself. Well, in Isaiah 55, verse 8, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God works on a higher plane than you and I. We don't always know why or how God works. I imagine Elijah was probably pretty hurt at that moment. You know, it's a, it's a pretty, hard, pretty hard fall from having a mountaintop experience where you just had a massive success to running for your life, and it just seems like, why, why God, now, suddenly, are our plans going in apparent different directions? Can you relate to that frustration at times? 
You had a great day one day, and the next day just nothing seems to go well. In 19 chapter 4, uh, you see Elijah go and he sleeps under a broom bush. And you know what a broom bush is? It's a, it's a bush that they make, has beautiful little white flowers on it, and they literally tie that stuff up and dry it out and make brooms out of it. Well, he comes and he sits under that tree and falls asleep, and he just says, Lord, I'm just done. I'm done. He's totally done. Take my life. That's it. I want to go home. I'm sure everybody's felt that a time or two. Because he had some unmet expectations. He was probably expecting the people to rise up. Because they were moved by this. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And yet, the next day, he gets himself scared by this letter. He was maybe expecting that at least maybe Ahab and Jezebel as king and queen would be scared to go against God again and maybe would leave the prophets alone, the prophets of the Lord. And so he falls asleep under that tree and the angel wakes him up and says, here, here's some food. And he's baked a little bread on the coals there and there's a pitcher of water and he eats. And then he falls asleep again. He wakes him up another time and says, eat, go on, eat it. You need to have strength for your journey. And he travels from Mount Carmel in the northwest down to Mount Horeb, which is in the southeast. It's about 280 miles. Wow. It takes him 40 days to walk there. The same Elijah who had mocked the false prophets was serious about leaving. He wasn't about to stick around and let Jezebel hurt him. This man of great faith is serious, and so he goes down there for 40 days. He takes that journey. Remember how we started this morning. We started with this idea of what happens when you and God feel like you're far apart from each other. I had a professor, Dr. Holloway, who used to say, if there's ever a question about your distance, the distance between you and God, guess who moved? Well, remember that feeling of God being far off. Um, sometimes it's that way in a marriage. Sometimes it's that way with our children. Sometimes it's that way with our employer or our relatives. We feel a bit estranged. God is all-powerful. God does amazing things for us each and every day. We're up and running, we're living, but we're just not connecting right at the moment. Things just aren't going quite as well, so we kind of hide under our broom bush, or we run to our Mount Horeb, and we, we don't want to go back. We just don't feel it anymore. You know, isn't it nice to know that when we're hurting and we can't quite make sense of our circumstances, and we wonder, where is God, that you know what, God has not left us. That God is still there. God would not leave Elijah under the tree. He sent an angel to feed and encourage him to keep journeying to Mount Horeb. See, God is not indifferent to our struggles. He's not indifferent to all those that are suffering from the natural disasters that have occurred. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says, Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. God never left Elijah. He won't leave us in our downtimes as well. Because the Bible says that God is going to send help in our time of need. In Hebrews, we even might entertain angels unaware. That's Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. But down there also in verse 5, the Bible says, Never will I leave you nor forsake you. And certainly there's other passages that have that quote in there. And sometimes when we hit our bottom and the tears just uh, seem to flow and things just don't quite work out the way we're expecting, we need to remember God is still in control. And he still cares about you and I. And so Elijah arrives down at Mount Horeb. And this is a picture of a place called the Cave of Elijah. This is the assumed place 
where he actually hid. Uh, we don't know that for a fact, but that's the assumption. That is a view from Mount Horeb out into the eastern plain there. It's a beautiful picture. Isn't that an amazing cloud? It is. It's an amazing view. It must have been built deliberately so that it could be like a cave. It's very possible. Very possible. Well, Elijah arrives at Mount Horeb and he hides up in a cave. And notice that God didn't answer him from the beginning until now. God didn't even speak to him. But he did send him help. He did send him help. Notice God was in the story. He wasn't necessarily whispering in Elijah's ear going, Don't worry, the Israelite shock troops are coming. They're going to kick Ahab out. Don't worry, I scared Jezebel. She's not going to bother you anymore. He didn't say anything like that. But he did feed him, and he did give him water, and he did help him on, a, on the journey. And now he has him right where he wants him, 42 days now. He travels 40 days. He's been gone one day under the bush. And now he wake, he's going to wake up this next morning and talk to God. And so God is going to provide the right answer for the right reason at the right time and the right way so that Elijah will understand that he truly is God. You know, sometimes the answers to our prayers, they don't necessarily come in, in not just the form that we want, but sometimes they don't come until we've expended all of our energy and then we look up and trust God. Sometimes they don't come until our pride has brought things to a head and now God is ready to intervene. Because God does things in God's timing. So Elijah spends a night in the cave and the next day the Lord comes to him and Elijah's not quite ready, but God is ready, and so now it's time to have this conversation. And the first question that God asks him, What are you doing here, Elijah? That really wasn't what Elijah was expecting, was it? Elijah was probably expecting God to go, Oh, I'm so sorry, this is terrible. And I don't think that God was indifferent to his, his plea, but he, but he needed to teach something to Elijah. God has his attention now. What is he going to do with it? Well, Elijah's, but, 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 but God, famous last words, right? But mom, but dad. <laughs> Elijah's response in, in 1 Kings 19 verse 14 goes deeper than just personal fear for his life. It goes deeper. He, he believes for a fact, he says it right there, that he is the last prophet of Israel. He thinks that the assassins are coming from Jezebel, and his life is forfeit. He believes that Mount, Mount Sinai, which is another name for Mount Horeb, and you might remember the Ten Commandments were given there, that all the work that God had done from that point till the point of Elijah was done for nothing. You know, sometimes Elijah is just like us. We want God to paint the biggest sign and make the biggest impact. We want him to make the biggest, most obvious thing. We want Hollywood-level effects to know that God is actually working. And so God says, all right, go forth. Stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great strong wind tore, that's rending there in the, in the NASB, rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, I like how the KJV says this, a still, small voice. 
Did you notice that nowhere in the text, from the time that he flees, from the time God asks him this question, does Scripture say that running away from our problems is the right answer? never says that. It's not in there. God never justifies Elijah's choice to run. The question lays bare the motives of Elijah, because he's scared. He doesn't believe God is big enough to handle all of these problems. He doesn't believe that, 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 that there are other prophets or other people that believe in God at that moment. He doesn't believe that, that, uh, that he uh, um, has more people, that he's not alone. He thinks he's the only one to ever go through, through this, and he's certain that he's going to die. And so God tells him, stand on that mountain, listen. Now that strong wind tears up the rocks, so that's got to be scary. Certainly after Mount Carmel, God would be in the wind. The earthquake shakes the earth. I imagine Elijah's pretty scared at this point. He could die. God wasn't in the earthquake. That fire comes and the mountain is burning. There's smoke everywhere, but the Lord's not in the fire. He asks him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding up here? Haven't you seen my power? Didn't just, a, just over a month ago... Didn't I just show you I'm all-powerful? Didn't I hand over 850 prophets to be slaughtered in that Kishon Valley? Didn't I take care of you when you met Ahab and he didn't kill you? Didn't I take care of you during those three-plus years of famine? What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you see my power? Fortunately for us, Psalm 145 says that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Isn't it nice to know that God does not abandon us? Even when we make bad choices, we turn left or right instead of staying straight. It's good to know that God is, still is very much in control, even though there's difficulties certainly right now in the world. From Charlottesville to hurricanes to fires, literally, God is still here, and He often speaks to you and I, not in the grand power moves, but in that still, small voice. In fact, Elijah, I've seen this attitude before. I called Moses up to the mountain, and he couldn't wait. The people that were sitting at the base of Mount Sinai, they couldn't wait 40 days, and they made the golden calf. I know what it's like to have them fall back into unbelief. doesn't matter how far you run, Elijah, I am there. And I will sustain you. Isaiah 46, 4 says that even when we're old and gray, God will sustain us, and by his power, he will do it. Elijah, go back and carry out my commands. I'll keep running the world, and I'll protect you. You just stay faithful until death, and it'll all work out. You know, brethren, I hope that it would not take us meeting God on the mountainside and a wind or an earthquake or a fire for us to believe that God can take care of us, just as he took care of Elijah. I hope that our focus will be upward and will not be lost in the storm of our current problems. We certainly have problems. And it would be my encouragement, it would be my encouragement that we recognize that when we are down, when there is difficulty, that God will save. Look up and trust. Pray to Him. Do the best that we can. And sometimes, just ride out the storm. And things will work out in the end.
So that's the lesson for us today. And if you need the prayers of the church, know that God loves you and he will not abandon you. I pray for all of the victims that are going through these disasters right now. Most importantly, I pray they look up to God. I pray they look up to him and trust him and re renew their faith in him if they have it and, and, be, and have faith in, in him if they have not started that walk. And so if you do need the prayers of the church, we certainly want to pray for you. If you're going through a mess right now and need the support of your brothers and sisters, we certainly want to give that. And so we'll, we'll uh, have a time of prayer after the singing of this next song. The lesson is yours. <laughs>